Welcome back to the PFC podcast. The views and opinions you are about to hear are the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of anyone else. Now on to the podcast. Welcome back to the PFC podcast. This is Dennis and today I am with Nate. I think a very special and unique guest in that he is neither a doctor or a medic, but he definitely gives a, a good perspective from the, uh, the command point of view. Uh, Nate, if you would, uh, would you please introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm Nate. I'm a Special Forces Detachment Commander, and I will couch this interview as well by saying I'm uh, not a medical expert in any sense. Uh, I was lucky enough to attend SOFAC and that sort of began my journey into the PFC world, and I've enjoyed it, but uh, certainly a neophyte when it comes to the medical world, but I've enjoyed what I've uh, dived into thus far. Again, Nate, thank you for coming on. And the first question I'd like to ask you is, um, what really got you involved in in your team's medical, on the medical side of things? So when I showed up to my team uh, a little over two years ago, the first exercise I conducted with them was a prolonged field care exercise, a little over 24 hours. Only had one medic at the time, and that's been true for the duration of my uh, command time. And I realized there was no value add in that exercise. Uh, I had very little hands-on experience with the majority of the equipment. And the one place I thought I could really help trending vitals or charting, I was making up on a computer in this tent and realizing that it, the systems were not well uh, established. I pretty much remade the PFC chart, which you know took way too long uh, on my end. Uh, but that was sort of a humbling experience and... I think like most of my peers, we don't have a tactical or operational or planning background that really incorporates medicine. So it can be intellectually daunting uh, to jump in and voice an opinion or talk about improvements. Uh, but I realized that I, I needed to be able to do more than just relay messages, which is an important component in communicating the patient's status or or bringing in the assets that uh, the 18 Delta sort of knows he needs. But I realized that my two hands were not useful and... Beyond that, I wasn't providing a whole lot of top cover for the 18 Delta as well. Um, so that sort of began my journey into uh, improving my own personal medical capabilities as I looked at my team structure, what we needed, um, and where I could personally uh, uh, add value. Um, so about a year later, I was lucky enough to go to the SOFAC course um, and love that training. It's sort of always caveat. So, in fact, when I talk to people and say, this is what you expect Green Berets to do when they graduate from the course, and I, I stand by that. I wish it was a part of the overall pipeline, as controversial as a subject as that would be. But I finally felt equipped from a medical perspective after I left SOFAC, and I knew my own limitations and uh, just what a value, valuable asset in 18 Delta really was. I had a much better understanding of what they're capable of uh, that I didn't before. Yeah. So as far as helping out your team and setting up this, this SOP, I guess after that PFC experience and your SOFAC experience, I guess what drove you to say, no, we need to start creating formalized SOPs? Right. So our first trip uh, overseas, again, my 18 Delta was solo. He set up our organic team clinic in our team house. And I remember looking at, the team clinic and thinking this isn't where I would want to necessarily be a SOFAC, uh, but he's an 18 Delta. He sort of has the expertise, but I wanted to challenge that something that I sort of learned, you know, diving into this podcast and this community is that you need to 
challenges, assumptions. Um, so we ran a rehearsal like any good unit, and it was not a successful rehearsal in terms of where the things were in the clinic. We made the 18 Delta the uh, uh, casualty, so everybody was trying to find the things that he had in place and the way that he had done that. So there were some you know, basic rehearsal uh, changes that needed to be done in terms of everyone being familiar with the uh, the layout of the clinic, but there were some broader issues at play. Um, and I tried to do what good uh, nerdy officers do, which is dive into doctrine and find out if there was a baseline for how a ODA should set up a, a clinic. And I couldn't find one. I found some trauma bay uh, SOPs. I found some battalion med clinic SOPs and some diagrams, but nothing that sort of situ- uh, that suited a organic detachments, uh, outfits, kits, and per- personnel. Um, so we went about sort of making that. Uh, everything from where do you put your basic march supplies, if you will, what you kind of have in your bag, but maybe in a clinic setup, where your vital monitoring stations go. Yeah, do you have a vampire kit for, for blood, as you discussed? You know, what needs to be there if it's someone who's never done it before to kind of walk through that kit? Uh, so I tried to apply a systems-based approach to the layout of the clinic and think about how we can reduce friction in there. Um, we think a lot about our profession in the kill chain and how we can speed up identifying the enemy and uh, conducting an operation uh, t- uh, against that enemy. I don't know that we give enough time and credence to the care chain. I sort of dubbed that term. Somebody else probably already thought of it before me, but the amount of time that it takes to get you know the casualty where you want him and in a situation you want him, you, know, you can only reduce that so much in physical space, whether it's in a truck or the movement. But once he's in the clinic, how can you speed up the treatments and the uh, operations that you need to do? So I thought, okay, well, I can't change what I know or what the people know, but we can change the space. Um, so that sort of set that in motion, and we've been tinkering with it and toying with it since. Now, I really love how you actually put a plan to test. You know, uh, very frequently we come up with SOPs or we come up with ideas while we're sitting in chairs back in the team room, but we never actually put them to practice to find out how good are they. So after you made this SOP and these plans, did you retest that plan? Yeah, so it started with moving the entire clinic was sort of the first step. We realized it was in the wrong room. Uh, Just moving the casualty into the room didn't work well. So we moved the whole thing and we reset it up uh, in the way we thought it was going to work well. Uh, And then we tested that didn't like th- where things were, the proxemics, to steal a word from the design world. Uh, but the proxemics of the clinic didn't make sense, reaching for things, uh, if you need them at hand, lighting, all those basic assumptions that in a trauma bay, I imagine you have. You have electricity, you have lights going, you have carts and nurses who can hand you things. In ODA, you might only have a couple people who can do those things. So making it very uh, clear where all your items are located, making it easy to follow, um, that was part of the, the, the setup, um, the goals of the setup, and just building from there the items that we needed for storage, all the basics that you might not have uh, in sort of an austere environment, but you can fabricate. Yeah. No, outstanding. I think that's very important, just coming up with a solution and then test that solution and find out, you know, well, that was only the 75% solution. Right. You know, what what else can we do beyond that, you know, to come up with the best best case scenario for the situations that we're going to be in realistically. Yeah. The parallel that I've made when pitching this SOP to to others is that if you look in the um, doctrine for ODAs, we 
teach how to set up a room for a briefing where the rucksacks go. There's sort of the classic model where the terrain model is, where the briefing slides are. That's of relatively low import. Right? No one's life is on the line in that room, but we do teach how to set it up and it's a useful model and it works well. It's professional. It's efficient. We had nothing to help new 18 deltas figure out how to set up a clinic, right. which they might use that day to save someone's life. Absolutely. So if we have enough energy within our doctrine to sort rucksacks and briefing boards, I thought it was necessary that we have enough to teach 18 deltas how to put their you know affairs in order, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's always, there's kind of this mystique around medicine that people outside of medicine don't want to even approach. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a very inviting uh culture. I, I love the collaboration that occurs on this podcast and in the, the PFC domain. I, I wish we incorporated all the other disciplines mm -hmm. in SOF. I think you know, we, we all learn from one another. Um, and the thing that really struck me was Colonel Farr's um, comment on his SOMA uh, presentation where he talked about you know, T-TRIC is a battle drill. PFC is sort of a battle drill or should be for teams that are in austere environments. And you know, we are the masters of the basics, and this is a this is becoming our basics that we need to master. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that we, you know, I, personally, I don't know that I put enough time and effort into understanding operational medicine as well as I ought to have. Speaking of being a master of the basics, so in a lot of other, you know, skill sets that we train for, whether it be breaching or CQB or sniper operations or what have you, we always train to a standard. Okay, um, whether it's the time it takes us to accomplish a mission or it's, you know, how accurate we do things, but we always train to a standard. I find that medicine isn't really that way. You know, the procedures, yes. You know, did you, did you effectively place a airway or did you effectively place a chest tube or a, a specific procedure with a definite start and end point? We do that very well. But when it comes to putting things together, like you would, you know, in your pre-mission before you go out the door, we don't do that very well. Um, I think we've, we train to when is it convenient to stop um, and not, you know, by doctrine, you know, a, a, a certain level of medic can go for a, a specific period of time or is expected to handle a critical patient for a specific period of time. We never really test that period of time to find out how much does it suck and is it even, is it even a possibility? And um, why do you think that is? There certainly is an element of resources available in training that time, uh, but I think you're totally right. My commander, to steal his phrase, often talks about you need to train until you can't do something wrong. And the only way to really do that's reps. Uh, and it is tough to get the medical reps in, um, in a accurate or realistic scenario. You know, we do sort of these canned medical lanes where, okay, we know this is the mass cow that's coming up to make sure everybody knows where everything is. Or we know this is the uh, T tri C lane. So make sure you're sort of in that mindset. Um, yeah, the, the, the time is all, time is always your enemy in, tra in training and in preparation. Um, and I think, you know, to the earlier point, sometimes it's tough for officers to look at the medical side of the house and think, well, I can really dive into that. Um, it's, it's, it's a gap. And yeah, that, 
behooves a good you know team sergeant or, or warrant to sort of incorporate all those elements from their experiences. But it can be daunting to look at the 18 Delta scope and think, how do I fit all this into a training environment? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the best that I've seen it thus far has been in SOFEC. Um, at the end of the course, you do a collex where you really work those fatigue systems. You're tired. You haven't slept much. Um, you're probably a little hungry. It's hot. You're uncomfortable and you're dealing with the same patient and you're actually doing all the steps that you need to do for a long duration of time. You're training vitals. You're you know, calling telemed. And you make mistakes, and you re- and you actually realize it because you're so tired. Oh, I didn't train that for the last. I haven't checked vitals in the last 15 minutes. Um, and it's important to get to that that level of fatigue. You know, no different than ranger school, right? You're doing the basics under the worst circumstances to realize, okay, I can do this. Um, and, and there there needs to be a similar outlet for medicine. There's been an increase in PFC exercises and LTT exercises, but you're right that you kind of need to push it to that edge of what do we actually have the capability of doing so we can realistically uh, you know, give our commanders uh, the information they need to make um, decisions and assume risk. Um, the the importance of, of knowing your limitations and knowing our capabilities is, is maybe never more apparent than once you have a casualty. Uh, and being able to sell that appropriately to a commander is important. Yeah, and I think the Rangers did an outstanding job. They... Yeah, what they did is essentially make medic training standardized. For every exercise, there's going to be a medical component, and we're going to follow it to the end, till the helicopter takes off, because that's what their mission says. They're going to test their plan each and every time, and now it becomes normalized. And yes, the first time they did it, it probably sucked, and times were inordinately long, and people were confused. But as they became normalized, times became faster, communication became more streamlined, and, you know, performance just went up from there. Um, no, I think you're right. There's definitely, it's definitely difficult to hack out three days of time and say, we're going to devote this completely to medical training. Um, and even if it's, you know, possible that we may have to do this. It's not necessarily worth the time. But I think you're absolutely right that unless you know where the line is, where is the line? I mean, 72 hours is a pretty arbitrary number based on what? Right. And I I don't know that I would have even thought about, you know, that 72 hours can get backed up by any number of things that aren't even the 18 deltas control. Do you even have the fluids? Yeah. And who's carrying 72 hours worth of fluids at any right. time, right? So, and I would have never even been able to consider those components in planning if I hadn't gone to SOFAC or I haven't, you know, we hadn't had exercises that kind of made us think through those things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So being able to realistically sell how you can sustain a patient for X number of hours, you, you really need to dive into well, what are the systems that are allowing you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the 18 Delta is as amazing as they are. And the schoolhouses made them. There are, there's more components at play. And that's really on uh, you know, commanders and, and team leadership to understand and, and uh, think through. Yeah. Um, as far as planning goes for the 18 Deltas or SOCOMs or whoever's listening, what are, what are areas that we are notoriously bad at planning? Yeah, I, I, we've become a little formulaic in how we look at CONOPS and how we look at EVAC plants. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I like this shift in mentality in terms of the death of the golden hour because it's forcing us to really think through what assets do you need to move a casualty, sustain a casualty, get him to a higher level of care, uh, get the casualty to a higher level of care. So I think, and the fact that we are uh, taken away from these more mature theaters, we, we have to do that more. Um, so I do worry about planning to a slide and not planning to reality. Right. Uh, I think that's that's a component in planning. Testing it as soon as you can get on the ground. We doctrinally talk about the need to test other components of our plan as soon as we hit the ground. We develop checklists for the first 24 hours, security, these other elements. Um, the medical capabilities need to be tested as well. Yeah. Um, you know, evac capabilities are tough, especially in, in your more austere settings. Right. Um, you might not know exactly what's coming and what they're going to have, so you need to, you just have to test those. So I think it's a it's a combination of carving out time and planning to know exactly what you need to test, and then testing that once you're on the ground. Uh, yeah. So with all this planning and testing and things like that, obviously that takes time away from other efforts, right? So how, as you as a commander, as medics on a team, how do we convince our higher command that this is actually worth it? Yeah, this is the tragedy of the 18 Delta, is that you're only going to have one, and he needs to be at the range to cover it down on training, so he can't do anything else. Right. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a challenge. Uh I think you just have to be honest uh, about the, you know, goals you're going to reach in any mission, um, and give that honest assessment to the commander. And one of that needs to, you know, a component of that needs to be your medical capabilities. We're honest about that with fires. We're honest about that with our maneuver capabilities. You need to be honest about that with our uh, medical capabilities. And the only way to to really you know, back up that honesty and and, and uh, be square with the commander is. By having a valid test, uh, but it, you know the 18 Delta or the or the SACA medics responsibility is also to communicate that well mm -hmm. with their leadership. Um, I've seen a lot of positive leaders in my unit wake up to the the PFC needs and the difficulties and challenges. Uh, I don't know that that's true everywhere. I think it's becoming more true. But I charge the the SACA medics to to be the voice of of reason and, and good faith. That. You know, previous podcast, uh, one of the uh, clinicians talked about, hey, the first thing I do is call someone if I don't know. Mm -hmm. And there is that intellectual openness within the medical community. Leaders need to set a culture where that's open in all communities. So the 18th house can say, hey, I can only do up to X uh, with what you're giving me. I can only sustain up to you know, Y number of hours with, with where we are and what we're doing. Um, we just have to, you know, breed that culture of honesty. Yeah. Yeah, like, um, you know, teaching just pain control. You know, my plan is to take this patient from here to here to here to here. It's going to take me X period of time. You're giving me two vials of drugs that will only last me from here to here. You know, just basic math, it's not going to work. And I think the medics going through the mental effort of calculation and saying, at best, I can cover him for this amount of time. And then showing it to med supply, or if need be, the command, and saying, I'm not getting enough stuff. Um, and I think both you know you as a commander and uh, the medics under you coming together and hopefully testing something. Even if I think, I think even if it was just in the team room, you don't need the forest 
necessarily. Right. You need the experience of this is how bad this sucks. And yes, you know, rest is like just outside that door, but we're not going to take it. Um, but we need, we want to have the experience of this is what it takes to handle a patient, even a basic patient, yeah, just okay. to see how the numbers fall on how much fluid are you carrying? You know, well, I'm going to set a drip for this, you know, three days from now, I'm going to need four cases of fluid in order to do it. You know, just finding that stuff out that I think would give you the, the information, the data to be honest with your commander and saying, we can do this. This is as far as we can go. And we do it. There's definitely a precedent for it, right? We do it when we come together as a team and build charges mm-hmm. we sort of, we know everything about that and we work through that process together or, yeah. or your, uh, you know, all your ballistics for a weapon system. We, mm-hmm. we have to treat medicine the same. It's a, it's a battle drill and you need to understand the, for science and physics underneath it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've been lucky in that uh, the guys on my team are extremely curious about medicine. We were lucky to work with a, a sauce tea a few months back mm-hmm. and incorporated them within a PFC environment. And I hadn't seen my guys so absorbed yeah. um, uh, with a class uh, prior to that. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, while there is this mystique of the 18 Delta, I think we can open it up as well and, and realize that yes, not, Everyone on the team can be uh, at that level, but we can expose them to more. I'm always amazed at the innovation that's coming out of the medical community and, and being talked about pushing down to the operator, whether it's Reboa or, or things that are very complex. Right. And we can explore those same concepts with uh, guys on the team so that they're they're used to it. It's yeah. it's not unfamiliar. There's no reason to be scared of it. Um, I think that's that's some of the apprehension. You know, you talk about uh, pain control. The idea of pushing drugs is sort of unfamiliar or, or feels very scary because there are real consequences. Well, it's no different than ballistics or demolitions. Those things are uh, dangerous as well if you're, they're not handled properly. But we teach people and we teach them to a standard. We can do the same thing with medicine. Yeah. I think you just re- unveil and uh, unveil the, that there is no magic. It's the same as, it's same type of training as anything else. We all do dangerous stuff. You train for it and then it's not so dangerous anymore. Um, and it just kind of opens people's eyes that, you know, I can't do the most complex things, but I can help with the basic things. And now it's not a mystery anymore. It's all problem solving too. So it's very attractive to the, the members of our community and our profession. So you're, if you can take the emotion out of that casualty, you know, as difficult as that is, it's a problem set and you just got to continue problem solving. It's what is attractive about it to many people, including myself. And that will be attractive across the board within soft culture. So. Uh, yeah, I think the opportunities to increase capabilities at the individual operator level really exist. Um, it does require a little bit more understanding at the leadership level of what the guys can do and, and, and where you can get them. Outstanding. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? I would love feedback on the clinic setup from the, the wider community. My assumption is it doesn't exist. I would love for that to be proven wrong. I'd like to see some 1960s field manual that, that totally crushes my assumption. Uh, yeah, I, I would love to get feedback from uh, sort of the wider PFC community on things that are missing from that setup or things that they would add to. Obviously, very MET-TC dependent to borrow a... Uh, played out answer to a lot of right. questions in, right. in this community. But uh, I, I think having the, the 
the baseline there can be valuable or hopefully will be valuable to some young Sakam out there setting up a team clinic for the first time. Outstanding. And he'll definitely get the feedback from, I mean, as soon as you put it on the internet, it's never going to go away, right? Um, but I think with any setup, as long as it survives the first basic principles, it's just uh, flavor after that. Right. You know what I mean? Too easy? That's it. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you, Nate, for no, coming in and, awesome. uh, and talking to us and giving some insight on the command side of things. Yeah. Happy to. Hopefully there's some workable material in there. For today's podcast, be sure to go to our website, www.prolongfieldcare.org. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Subscribe and stay on the bleeding edge of combat medicine. This is Dennis for the PFC Podcast. Our boy is waiting there for you.